It's about jobs. It's about investing in the industries of the future. Uh, and it's about rebuilding parts of our communities that have long been forgotten. Oh, cool. I'm in. Let's see if the Democrats are now. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Never is. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Oh, hello there. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF, and every single one of those places is set to benefit from Joe Biden's new plan. Just you wait and see. Also, coast to coast and around the globe, we are heard on the internets, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com, and I hope you agree. Welcome to the Bradcast. Uh, well, the um, <clears throat> the previous guy in the White House uh, promised it for uh, four hellishly long years, uh, but it never actually came. Yes, it is now actually infrastructure week. <laughs> For the White House. Finally. Yes. An actual A real one. Week. This one seems real. We'll, we'll find out, I guess, in the days ahead. But as uh, Joe Biden is now rolling out what is uh, now the $2 trillion first phase of what is believed to be eventually maybe a $4 trillion infrastructure, jobs and climate bill. The president is uh, introducing the new package on the heels of his still wildly popular American Rescue Plan, calling this one now the American Jobs Plan. And we will fill you in on all the details, at least those that we know so far, and what it all means, and if it can get passed, and if Democrats are going to come together on this one as they did on the American Rescue Plan uh, with our guest, the uh, great progressive financial journalist, David Dayen, momentarily. He uh, knows a thing or two. He does. We'll see what he knows about this. And by the way, Des, I know you have been waiting for, what, uh, is it days, weeks, months, <laughs> or years 
for this package from a U.S. president. Yes, it's a very nice package, I must say. Hey, and, hey, hey. <laughs> but hey. yes, I've been waiting for years for some kind of meaningful action on climate change because uh, this is no joke. Scientists are warning us with increasing fury and fear that we are running out of time. See, you don't even see this as an infrastructure package. Oh, no. You see this as a climate package. Well, it is. Uh, everything we do from here on out is going to be about climate, whether people admit it, admit it or not, because that is going to be the focus of the 21st century if we do it right. All right. Well, before we get there and find out if we will do it right, a few quick news items of note that I want to hit, because, yes, we can look both back and forward at the same time. What? Hint, hint. Two U.S. Capitol Police officers who say that they were injured during the January 6th insurrection are suing former President Donald Trump for inciting the crowd. The officers, the first police to sue in court following the riot, though they may not be the last, say they have suffered physical and emotional damages because Trump allegedly, quote, inflamed, encouraged, incited and and directed the violent mob that stormed the Capitol. That allegation has been confirmed by no less of a body than the U.S. Senate, where a majority of senators, 57 to 43, including seven Republicans, all voted during Trump's second impeachment that, yes, he was, in fact, guilty of inciting the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. Capitol Police Officers James Blassingame and Sidney Hemby have been with the force for a combined 28 years. Hemby, quote, was crushed against the doors of the Capitol, was, quote, sprayed with chemicals and bled from his face, according to the lawsuit. Blassingame claims he was slammed against the stone column, injuring his head and back. Each of the officers are seeking at least $75,000 in damages, accusing Trump of aiding and abetting their assaults, according to the complaint. Trump has yet to respond to the lawsuit, which was filed in federal court in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday. He has previously denied any responsibility for the violent attack. And he falsely claimed uh, just last week that the MAGA mob posed, quote, zero threat and were, quote, hugging and kissing the police at the Capitol. That's a hell of a way to hug and kiss. Maybe uh, maybe he was watching different footage than I saw. Uh, five people died during and immediately after the attack, including one Capitol Police officer. Two more officers took their own lives in the days that followed, and dozens were hospitalized, many with serious injuries. Other than that, hugs and kisses. The lawsuit from Blazingame and Hemby also describes the sheer terror that the officers felt inside the Capitol while they were vastly outnumbered by the armed pro-Trump mob. The lawsuit says Blazingame now suffers from depression and that the, quote, severe emotional toll continues to reveal itself. Blassingame is a 39-year-old former Marine. He serves as a training and recruitment programs manager for the Capitol Police. As both officers remained at their posts, thousands of protesters gathered south of the White House for the Stop the Steal rally, where around noon, Trump took the stage and for a little over an hour, according to the suit, repeated his false claims that the election was rigged and, quote, stolen before urging his supporters to, quote, fight like hell and telling them, quote, we're going to the Capitol. 
By we, he meant them, not him. Hemby remained at his post, blocking the Capitol steps until a wave of people dressed in Trump and Make America Great Again gear and carrying large Trump flags breached the barriers. The crowd, which was aggressive and outnumbered the officers, then chased Hemby and his colleagues to the top of the stairs, forced them against the doors, according to the suit. Hemby attempted to hold the insurrectionist back, but they crushed him against the door, he said. Officer Hemby was attacked relentlessly, the suit states. He was bleeding from a cut located less than an inch from his eye. He had cuts and abrasions on his face and hands, and his body was pinned against the large metal door, fending off attacks. The mob, which yelled, quote, fight for Trump and stop the steal, struck him with their fists and whatever they had at hand, according to Hemby. They also threw objects at him, sprayed him with chemicals. The threats and attacks on Officer Blasingame also seemed endless, according to the suits. A surge of insurrectionists pushed forward and slammed Blasingame into a stone column. Blasingame, who is black, said he lost count of how many times the crowd yelled the N-word in his face before he eventually managed to free himself from the column he had been pinned against before heading to the office of Republican Congressman Steve Scalise to help lawmakers evacuate where they remained in lockdown. Uh, he stayed with them, uh, with the members of Congress, until about 7.30 p.m. that night. The suit says it was not clear to him on January 6th that he would survive to make it home. Blasingame says he is haunted by the memory of being attacked and of the sensory impacts, the sights, sounds, smells, and even tastes of the attack remain close to the surface. Remember, he was a uh, he's a Marine veteran. According to the lawsuit, he now experiences guilt of being unable to stop his colleagues who were simultaneously being attacked and of surviving where other colleagues did not. Hemby, Hemby remained at the east end of the Capitol until the complex was cleared of insurrectionists. He couldn't seek medical attention until after 9 p.m. Uh, despite his injuries. He is still now receiving physical therapy uh, two to three times a week for his neck and back. We are now, what are we? Uh, three months. Uh, yeah, I was going to say more than, more than uh, yeah, you're right. Almost Just three under three months, months yeah, yes. Uh, it was only happened. three months ago that an insurrection trying to overturn the 2020 election, an attack on the Capitol. Well, by uh, overturn uh, the election and attack on the Capitol, you mean hugs and kisses for <laughs> everyone. As with Blasingame, by the way, Hemby uh, says the emotional trauma of the attack has also disrupted his sleep and his usual calm demeanor, according to the lawsuit. So uh, that one, uh, again, uh, now follows on two other separate lawsuits against the former president filed by two Congress members, Benny Thompson of Mississippi and Eric Swalwell of California. And in a bit more accountability news for the former president and his clan, the uh, the legal firm leading a a heap of lawsuits as uh, Talking Points Memo describes it for uh, Dominion voting systems against promoters of false claims about its voting software. 
recently expand its armory of attorneys as it prepares to go to battle against former President Donald Trump's big lie about the stolen, so-called stolen 2020 presidential election. The Daily Beast reports on Monday night that Claire Locke, the legal team orchestrating Dominion's complaints, Welcomed assistance from seven other new attorneys now at Sussman Godfrey, a firm known for its defamation litigation. Dominion lawyers have already filed a host of billion-dollar defamation lawsuits in recent months against Trump's former election lawyers, Rudy Giuliani, for $1.3 billion, and Sidney Powell for $1.3 billion, as well as my pillow CEO Mike Lindell for another 1.3 billion dollars and most recently against Fox News on Friday for 1.6 billion dollars uh, all defamation lawsuits um, that one against Fox on Friday is now the second suit from a voting machine company that Fox will be is now facing that after a $2.7 billion lawsuit from another company named Smartmatic, which did not even have any voting systems involved in any way in any of the states where Team Trump was pretending they lost the election thanks to Dominion and somehow Smartmatic switching votes from Joe Biden to Donald Trump, despite the lack of any evidence to support any of those claims. As I've noted, uh, Smartmatic is being brought into this by and large uh, thanks to my uh, report from 2010 uh, in which, well, you know what? You can go read it. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's too difficult. It's too complicated to explain. I was accurate in what I reported and uh, these uh, Trump dopes just uh, took that and somehow basically turned uh, uh, Dominion into Smartmatic or vice versa. They I don't even understand. They mangled and it. bastardized yes. it beyond recognition. The uh, beefed-up Dominion legal team now comes as their attorneys reportedly signal uh, that they will deliver yet another round of lawsuits to Republican media outlets that willingly aired debunked theories of a stolen election that involved false claims about Dominion. Dominion attorney Tom Clare told Axios in a podcast interview on Monday, quote, there were other outlets that played a similar role to Fox in spreading these lies. I expect that we're going to be holding them accountable as well. Two people told The Daily Beast that right wing outlets Newsmax and One American News could be fresh targets in that effort. Dominion lawyers last week accused of Fox News of one of uh, in a one point six billion dollar defamation suit of giving, quote, life to a manufactured storyline about election fraud that cast a then little known voting machine company called Dominion as the villain. The network, however, uh, stands by its coverage in a statement on Friday after the lawsuit was filed. Uh, they said Fox News Media is proud of our 2020 election coverage, which stands in the highest traditions of American journalism and will vigorously defend against this baseless lawsuit in court. Good luck, Fox. According to the Daily Beast, sources said that Dominion's legal team has not yet ruled out a lawsuit against the ex-president, who is already facing a series of other legal battles relating to his finances and his behavior, both during and before his presidency. And now, yes, including three different lawsuits for inciting 
the attempted insurrection at the U.S. Capitol on January 6, after spending weeks lying about the election being stolen from him on Dominion voting systems. Sad. All right, let's take a quick break and uh, and a look forward now to the brand new, long-awaited, at least for Desi Doyen, infrastructure <laughs> and jobs and climate bill introduced by Joe Biden on Wednesday in Pittsburgh. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to the Bradcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Our nightmare election may be over, but new ones are on the way. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to do it. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to make an automated monthly pledge of any amount you like or even just a one-time-only contribution to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. The fight for voting rights, civil rights, and to save our planet continues. Please help us continue that fight independently over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com donate right now. Go ahead, do it right now. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. On the road again. Uh huh. Just can't wait to get on the road again. I see what you did there. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. On our on our previous Bradcast, Desi and I had discussed whether Joe Biden's long promised three or four trillion dollar infrastructure plan should best be described as an infrastructure and jobs plan, or more accurately, as an infrastructure jobs. And climate plan, since so much of it was believed to be focused on jobs, rebuilding infrastructure that needs not only repair, but hardening to withstand and mitigate our worsening climate crisis. Well, we now have an answer to at least some of those questions. As we go to air today, President Biden is rolling out an approximately $2 trillion plan focused on infrastructure and the climate as a blueprint for his vision to reshape the U.S. economy, which he is calling the American Jobs Plan. Probably a smart way to take the word climate out of the title so as not to trigger Fox News snowflakes, uh, take uh, infrastructure out of it, which, you know, puts some people to sleep. Uh, and also the American Jobs Plan echoes the name of his so far wildly popular and surprisingly progressive $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan signed into law in March for COVID pandemic relief and stimulus after being passed in both houses of Congress without a single Republican vote. The American Jobs Plan, formerly introduced in Pittsburgh on Wednesday but previewed to journalists on Tuesday night, aims to tackle some of the nation's most pressing problems from climate change to decaying water systems, to the nation's crumbling infrastructure, according to The Washington Post today. The administration's promises are vast and may prove difficult to enact, the Post notes, even if the effort can get through Democrats' extremely narrow majority in Congress, where the measure may need to be passed under Senate budget reconciliation rules, allowing for a simple majority vote that doesn't require overcoming a GOP filibuster 
even though Republicans in recent years have at least pretended they were interested in infrastructure investment. The sweeping plan says that it will enable drivers across the country to find electric charging stations for their vehicles on the road. Every lead pipe in the country would be replaced. All Americans would have access to high-speed Internet broadband by the end of the decade. And as many as 2 million homes and housing units would be built, retrofitted, or renovated. It includes a slew of tax hikes on businesses and, according to the White House, would pay for itself over 15 years. On the tax side, Biden's plan includes raising the corporate tax rate from 21 to 28 percent, increasing the global minimum tax paid from about 13 percent to 21 percent. And I believe what that means is that while corporate tax rates are increased, the existing loopholes in the tax code would be plugged up enough that businesses would still have to pay at least 21 percent. No matter what, but I will ask my guest to explain that momentarily. Uh, it would also end federal tax breaks for fossil fuel companies, finally, while proposing as much as $400 billion in clean energy credits. The tax measure uh, help uh, the tax measures help Biden address concerns that his spending package would add to an already large federal deficit. But the Post reports they are likely to provoke a torrent of opposition from lobbyists and business groups who celebrated Donald Trump's 2017 tax cuts. Well, of course they will. Too bad. I'm sure they enjoyed all that free money at the rest of our expenses while it lasted. Congressional Republicans naturally are panning the tax increases as damaging to U.S. investment and competitiveness. They pledge to oppose them, of course. While opening the door for negotiations over the details with Congress, the White House is adamant about the need for a sweeping economic program that goes beyond immediate coronavirus relief. It cites the threat posed by climate change, the deterioration of America's infrastructure and the long decline of U.S. manufacturing. Here's White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki on Tuesday. He sees, um, you know, clean energy and clean energy jobs as central to his own vision and his own objectives. It's about jobs. It's about investing in the industries of the future. Uh, and it's about uh, rebuilding parts of our communities that have uh, long been uh, forgotten. Joe Biden's plan devotes more than $600 billion to rebuilding America's infrastructure, such as ports, railway, railways, bridges, highways, about $300 billion to support domestic manufacturing, more than $200 billion in housing infrastructure. Other measures include at least $100 billion for a variety of priorities, including uh, creating national broadband, modernizing the electric power grid, upgrading schools and educational facilities, investing in research and development projects, and ensuring America's drinking water is safe. Oh, I object to that. Biden's plan also includes measures unrelated to either infrastructure or the uh, climate, such as about $400 billion investment in home-based care, uh, home care for the elderly and disabled, that was a top demand of some union groups as well. The plan calls for passage of the Protecting the Right to Organize Act. We've talked about that on the show. The PRO Act aimed at significantly strengthening workers' rights to organize. 
It includes $100 billion to bolster the country's electric grid and phase out fossil fuels. It also asks Congress to adopt an energy efficiency and clean electricity standard that would set specific targets to cut how much coal and gas-fired electri electricity power companies may use over time as part of Biden's plan to make the power sector carbon-free by 2035 and as one of his top climate spending priorities, invest about $174 billion in the electric vehicle market to, uh, along with uh, federal incentives for manufacturing and purchasing such cars to establish a national network of 500,000 charging stations by 2030. The plan would also replace 50,000 diesel trucks while electrifying at least 20 percent of the classic yellow bus fleet that transports children to and from school each day, to which I say only 20 percent. In an effort to transition fossil fuel workers to other jobs, Biden plans to devote $16 billion to employing Americans to plug abandoned oil and gas wells and restore land that has been used for coal and uh, mining. That would be nice. In his news conference last week, as we noted on the show yesterday, the president said that the workers would earn as much, as much money sealing those wells that are leaking methane as they would in drilling them. Also, another $10 billion would fund the establishment of a new civilian climate corps, which would employ people to restore landscapes and help prepare communities for global warming's effects. The president also asks Congress to provide $45 billion to replace the remaining lead pipes across the country while reducing lead exposure in some 400,000 schools and child care facilities. I'll look forward to the Republicans opposing that. There is much more here, but <clears throat> you get the idea. And, of course, the package will change once Congress begins its own work on it. Among Democrats, the plan has already been met with objections from lawmakers in the Congressional Progressive Caucus who say it's insufficient to meet the scale of the threat posed by climate change. Meanwhile, conservative Democrats are reportedly balking at another large spending package. Three House Democrats have already vowed to oppose it because it does not reverse a cap on state and local tax deductions from Trump's 2017 tax law that hurt a lot of homeowners in high-tax states like California and New York. Reversing those caps, however, would also lower federal revenue and thus increase the price of the bill. And a number of uh, priorities critical to congressional Democrats, including an extension on the expanded child, uh, uh, child credit from the American Rescue Plan. Those are being left by the White House for a second package where their fate and timing remain unclear. That second economic proposal, supposedly to be released in April, is expected to include a major expansion in health insurance coverage, subsidies for child care, and free access to community colleges, among other measures. Why those are split off from this package is yet another question I hope to ask my guests momentarily. As to Republican reactions so far, well, you can probably guess. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell called the package Quote, a Trojan horse, which is pretty much what they call everything these days, while criticizing the measure for, quote, more borrowing and massive tax increases on all the productive parts of our economy. Not sure what he means by that. 
But David Dayan of the American Prospect might. He joins us next to explain all of this today and how and if all of this can actually get passed, not only with an intransigent Republican Party, which is un- seems unwilling to vote for anything created by a Democrat, no matter how much stuff it has that they have long pretended to support, but whether Democrats themselves can come together to get this package through, as they did for the COVID relief bill, the American Rescue Plan. David Dayan on the American Jobs Plan joins us next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Okay. How can you deny an electric car? How can you? Or you take a ride with me. Pretty please? Come on and take a ride with me. Yeah, maybe. Soon. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Joe Biden is introducing his infrastructure, jobs, and climate plan by calling it the American Jobs Plan proposing to invest $2 trillion in what had previously been thought to be an either $3 or $4 trillion package to rebuild roads, bridges, elect the electrical grid, and harden them all for a climate-changed future, including hundreds of billions in clean energy, yes, electric car infrastructure, and much, much more, like removing all lead pipes in the nation and reducing lead exposure in some 400,000 schools. Progressives in Congress are already saying the package does not invest enough. Some conservative Democrats are worried that it spends too much and, yes, predictably, representing the Republicans. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell acknowledged that the White House proposal would, in fact, include money for his own state, for local bridges in great need of repair, among other things. But he said his support nonetheless is, quote, not likely. Too bad Joe Biden's not a Republican. McConnell would have been all over this free money for Kentucky. Joining us now with answers to every question I'm likely to dream up is our old friend David Dayan, investigative financial journalist and the executive editor of The American Prospect, where he is also now the author of their daily indispensable first 100 newsletter, which, uh, as it chronicles the early days of the Biden administration, sadly may be coming to an end soon. His newest book, uh, in which, uh, by by way of full disclosure, I am featured in small part, but you should read it anyway, is called Monopolized Life in the Age of Corporate Power. Welcome back to the broadcast, Mr. Dayan. Hello, Brad. Thanks for having me. Are you really going to end the first 100 newsletter that I rely on every morning when I wake up to find out what the hell is going on? Is this really coming to an end, David Dayan? Uh, well, it does say first 100, doesn't it? And we are in day 71, aren't we? 
So I think the answer is yes, just as a mathematical matter. <laughs> well, it it used to be called unsanitized, and you changed the name to for, First 100, so I don't see anything wrong with, you know, first I, year. I, I, don't, I, I don't think there's any... Uh, uh, Fear that I'm going to stop writing, but uh, the the idea that I get up every morning very early to uh-huh. write this this thing uh, needs needs to end, and uh, <laughs> it will end. I see in about 29 days. Okay, well, thanks for nothing, David. Um, I know that <laughs> you, you. Can I go? Yes, not yet, not yet. I I note that we we haven't had you on since uh, just after inauguration day. So that would be before passage of Biden's first major project, the American Rescue Plan. Now, in the months prior to his pass, its passage, uh, you told us on the show and in your newsletter, you saw it as remarkably progressive, suggesting it might even be a sea change from all previous types of relief and stimulus packages. Uh, did the final product uh, live up to your hopes and expectations? On the American Rescue Plan, yeah. yes, I, I would say that. And you're talking about something that's that's 1.9 trillion. There was there were no offsets in it. It was something that I would say gives a puts a down payment mm-hmm. on uh, the extreme inequality and lack of public investment that we had in this country over the last 40 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one statistic that if wages rose at the same level. Uh, that they did uh, in the previous era, uh, over the last forty years, the the uh, and if inequality was at the same rate, mm-hmm. Americans would be fifty trillion dollars richer. Wow! Uh, so this is two trillion. So this is a, a a bit of a drop in the ocean, but at least it's a start. And we did not listen to the the deficit hysterics of the likes of Larry Summers, mm-hmm. who was continually pushing to trim the sales of this package, that uh, interest rates would get out of control, inflation would get out of control if we actually tried to help people. And uh, the Democrats didn't listen, and uh, good for them. And <laughs> yes. uh, so I, I, I think it's a, uh, it was a, quite an achievement. Uh, however, what I would say is that everything in it uh, obviously is temporary. Mm-hmm. Uh, the child allowance, child tax credit increase uh, only lasts for one year. The uh, additional subsidies in under the Affordable Care Act for insurance coverage only last for two years. And so the proof will be in whether those things can be extended further. Mm-hmm. Well, I've, I've been arguing, uh, based in no small part on, on your writing about it and just looking at the the way it was structured, um, <clears throat> again, the American Rescue Plan, how different it was from recent, uh, well, you noted the last 40 years. So, you know, sort of recent stimulus and relief packages and tax cuts, where in this case, the money was focused, the investments were focused on on the poor and working class instead of the corporations and the wealthy. And that if it ended up being successful, I think down the road, I have been arguing that I think people could look back uh, at the passage of the American Rescue Plan as sort of a long overdue end of the trickle-down Reagan era in one sense. Is that an overstatement? I mean, I think it could be, uh, although I think some of those sentiments, and we'll talk about it, are, are coming back into play with this this follow-up package. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the good thing about the American Rescue Plan is that it didn't attempt to say, okay, uh, there's been this much damage and let's 
to exactly that level uh, where we were uh, before, and and that will be just enough. In other words, uh, it, it, it had the mindfulness that the pre-pandemic status quo was not really very good for a large groups of people, including families and poor families. And the attempt is made to actually fix those inequities mm-hmm. rather than just say, okay, we are going to uh, pour water in this glass until it is exactly... Mm-hmm. Uh, full once again, and uh, not not understand, uh, not caring about whether or not uh, that, that was insufficient to begin with. To the previously lousy level that it was. Right. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, exactly. and I guess uh, you're right. The the proof may be in the pudding as we move forward, uh, as we see <clears throat> if the American Jobs Plan can also have a. Uh, a, a similar sort of investment and effect. Now, this it was originally, uh, I thought this was going to be anywhere from three to four trillion dollars. What happened that is now only two trillion dollars? Still a boatload of money, but you know what happened there, David Dan? Well, what happened is they split the package. So uh, this is the first half of apparently a two-part sequence. This has most of the physical infrastructure investments. I would call this more of a public investment bill rather than infrastructure bill. But this has uh, sort of the physical investments, uh, uh, all the things that you talked about before. Uh, And then the second half is really the care infrastructure and the the care investments on health care and on paid family leave and on community colleges and things like that. So when you put those two numbers together, mm-hmm. it is certainly possible, if not probable, that mm. we get to a $4 trillion figure. Uh, what has changed, it seems, is that there's going to be a lot more paid for. I mean, I hate to use the phrase paid for. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my Stephanie Kelton meter goes up when I use <laughs> the phrase paid for. Yes. But, uh, you know, there will be a lot of offsets, right. more offsets than initially envisioned. Initially, this was going to be maybe a $3 trillion package with a trillion dollars in offsets mm-hmm. uh, through tax revenue. Now we're looking at maybe it's $4 trillion and and most of it, $3 trillion or so, is going to be offsets. So when you so, say offsets, just to be clear, when you say offsets, that's either money we are not spending on some other program somewhere else or or we're raising uh, in, in tax rates or whatever it is right. to, to cover these costs. Right. So there's revenues, and then there's, there's yeah, policy changes that save money. And that's going to be a really interesting part in Part 2. Now, all of the money, uh, the, the, the offsets in this first plan being announced uh, here on Wednesday is changes to the corporate taxes. Uh, uh, that, that's, that's all of the revenue raisers in this first plan. Uh, in the second plan... You could see changes to the individual tax rate, mm. but you could also see things like letting Medicare uh, negotiate mm-hmm. with prescription drug companies over the price of drugs. Mm-hmm. And if successful, depending on the, the scope of that, that could save a great deal of money. So you have something that is a progressive policy that would save Americans on their prescription drug prices, but would also save the government. And so that puts the moderates who really called for this uh, this this offset that the, the you know the people who are mindful of the deficit uh-huh. that really puts them in an interesting position right because maybe they have 
ties to drug companies or they don't necessarily want to uh, create progressive policies. But this particular progressive policy would save a lot of money. And the more progressive it is, the more aggressive it is, the more it saves. Mm. And so if you want to uh, be fiscally responsible, quote-unquote, uh, you're going to want a far-reaching drug pricing reform plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that puts the moderates in a kind of an interesting position there. Whether Do they really want it to be uh, fiscally sound, or, or do they just want to play act? You mean the moderates that do take a lot of money from big pharma? Who's, who, right. so, who, who would so be losing ID, money in the bargain? Yeah. Their theories about fiscal responsibility are going to come up against their donors. Why was this? Uh, or, or do, do you understand, David, why this was actually cut into two uh, into two pieces the way it's being? I think it has evolved. So initially, there was this idea that well, Republicans might be into infrastructure, especially things like rural broadband mm-hmm. or roads and bridges, that where they see the value in it. So hey, maybe we can get them aboard for an infrastructure bill. And, and do that through regular order in the Senate mm-hmm. and get 60 votes. And then we do a second package, which is the things that Republicans won't go for, and we do that through reconciliation. I think that was the initial conception. The problem is they were very overt about that, and Republicans thought, wait a second, we don't want to participate in this uh, thing that's going to create a, a bunch of tax increases and, and, and social welfare programs that we don't really want. So Republicans essentially said no. Uh, then the idea is, well, okay, how do we get how do we get this thing passed? And there there's this idea that there there is a a moderate package that has mostly things for moderates, mm-hmm. and that includes the infrastructure spending uh, and some of these tax uh, measures because they want it to be fiscally sound. And then there's a second package which is more on the social welfare side that progressives might like. And uh, right now, Chuck Schumer is trying to make the case in the Senate that you can do two reconciliation bills this year, which is a very arcane, strange kind of thing. And uh, I don't know if I totally want to go into it right now. But he's trying to make the case to do two bills that only need 50 votes. Of course, there's a way to do unlimited number of bills that only need 50 votes, right. and that's by ending the filibuster. Oh, there's that. But, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, obviously that's not in the cards at the moment, uh, although uh, who knows in the future if uh, Republicans start filibustering things like voting rights. Uh, but so, so you kind of – it gives you more flexibility. Let's say you put together an infrastructure bill – and it has things like rural broadband, and it has things like uh, the lead pipe situation and uh-huh. roads and bridges, and moderates really like it. And progressives are fine with it, too, but it might include things like uh, you talked about the state and local tax deduction right. or, or, or other things like that. So it's mostly good for progressives, but there are some bad things, and, it's, 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 uh, and, and, and maybe they'll go along with it. Then you get to the other bill. And it's mostly good for, for uh, it's mostly things progressives want, and, and maybe they throw a bone in for moderates uh-huh. to get on the bill. So you just have more flexibility if you have multiple bills, I think, is now the, the idea. Well, you, that, got, you may that have flex- you can bring different populations along with it. 
Yeah, but there may only be a limited number of bills that can be passed at all via uh, reconciliation. And and the fear, my fear personally, is that by splitting this in two, you end up passing the one that moderates really want, and the moderates hold firm, and you don't pass the one that progressives really want. And that means that the second bill, which is to be determined, right, it's the Mm -hmm. thing that hasn't been announced yet, maybe that goes down. Yep. And that includes extending the increase in child tax credit. And it includes extending the health insurance subsidies. It includes lowering the Medicare age from 65 to 60, potentially. It includes free community college. It includes paid family medical leave. And all of these things are huge priorities and yeah. really important and need to be done. And so... I, I I would be really worried about you know this this package that's being announced today uh, being going through and the other stuff being jettisoned right. because we can't afford to put ourselves in a situation where we have to make that choice. Now, ultimately, if if Schumer's concept of of multiple reconciliation bills. Uh, goes down, and there's only one bill leaving the station this year, I would assume that we would get a mix of all of these things, and there wouldn't be a two-bill So you may see some of this stuff moved in to the American, to the newly introduced American Jobs Plan. That's correct. I mean, I, I think that's inevitably where this is going to go, that you're going to get one bill. It's probably going to include the budget mm-hmm. as well, right. like this huge omnibus bill. And uh, that that's probably where this is going to land. But right now, they're they're looking at it in stages. Early signs uh, suggest that that would be what the progressives seem to be pushing for. The Congressional Progressive Caucus says the package is not large enough. AOC, for example, tweeted that uh, the two trillion dollar investment over just four years is quote not nearly enough. So well, it's actually over eight years, I believe. Uh, uh, in, in in this package, it's it's. Uh, I don't know what she said, but right. It's uh, and that's the interesting thing about this package is that the spending is over eight years, but the taxes to offset that spending are over fifteen years. Right. So you're not dealing with apples and oranges when you're talking about the amount being raised and the amount being spent. Well, and that's what they seem to refer to when they say this will be uh, paid for by incoming taxes. But can't a case be made that this will be paid for by the number of new jobs and the improvement to infrastructure that will then, uh, you know, redound to businesses and, and, uh, you know, better workflow, better everything that, you know, like you said, you know, if, if you're 50 trillion dollars in the hole after Reagan's tax cuts and everything else, Money, you know, when we spend, what is it that, that you, you've said, Stephanie Kelton has said that, you know, we spend a, a trillion dollars in investment in this actually puts another, what, two or three trillion dollars into the economy right. itself. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree that, that spending of this type, which is public investment, pays for itself over many, many times. And uh, it does that just by virtue of the greater efficiency that mm-hmm. you were talking about. It does that by averting risk. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when we make all these climate investments, we, mm-hmm. we then have the opportunity to not have to spend hundreds of billions and trillions of dollars on damages from catastrophic weather events. The external like uh, expenses, yeah. 
Exactly. Uh, so uh, that's absolutely true. I mean, uh, I was on a call with uh, Pramila Jayapal, uh, the, the head of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, yesterday. Uh-huh. And what she said is that, look, we don't think that infrastructure really has to be paid for, for all the reasons that we've been talking about. But if you want to go ahead and make the tax code a little more fair, we'll, we'll go along with that. We'll do that. I mean, there, there are different reasons to... Uh, make the corporate tax code more more equitable than just paying for infrastructure. The, the, the reason that you do it is to reduce inequality, right? Uh, the reason to do it is to create a sense of tax fairness. So uh, I, I think from the progressive perspective, they're like, yeah, we don't really need to pay for this, but if you want to combine these measures and make it think to yourself in your mind that you're paying for it, then go ahead. And, uh, you know, restore some of the tax cuts to the wealthy. Joe Biden has talked about raising taxes on folks making more than $400,000 a year. There's Elizabeth Warren's wealth tax out there, uh, two cents on every dollar above $50 million, is it, in assets, as I recall? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not sure the wealth tax is is going, I think there's going to be a, a, a a big lift uh, to get Biden to agree to that. But I do think a lot of the individual tax increases, some of which are pretty impactful, not just increasing the top marginal tax rate, but also for the wealthy uh, equalizing capital gains income uh, taxes and uh, income mm-hmm. taxes, uh, which would be really, really big. And also there's a, a, an inheritance tax thing with the, what is called the step up in basis. So when someone dies, uh, all their unrealized tax capital gains get reset to zero, essentially. Mm. And so anything, any investments that you hold, you never have to pay capital. Your heirs don't have to pay capital gains on them. Mm-hmm. This is a huge, huge driver of uh, of lost taxes, of inequality. Right. Uh, it's a real gift to, to wealthy heirs. So those kinds of things, I think, are absolutely going to be in the second plan that's going to be announced. Uh, which is uh, the, the the more of the care infrastructure kind of stuff, which may end up coming back into the first plan, as you suggest every right, day. And, right, and it's very but, confusing right now that you have yeah. two plans that are probably not going to be two plans. But uh, yes. So, so uh, speaking of confusing, let me hit you with two quick questions here that hopefully you can make uh, easy sense of. I made uh, I, I referenced this in the uh, in the opening here that the plan would raise the corporate tax rate from 21 to 28 percent and increase the so-called global minimum tax paid from 13 to 21 percent. So uh, did I explain that uh, correctly, that it essentially plugs wow. loopholes or, or no? Yeah, and- I mean, there's a, th- there's a third provision that really does plug the loophole. So the global minimum tax is really about taxes by multinationals on ah. all the profits that they gain everywhere in the world. Ah, okay. And there's sort of a process that's being undergone right now with Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and envoys from all the other countries of the world to create a global minimum system. So there isn't this race to the bottom where, you know, Ireland or the Seashell Islands or, you know, these, these tax havens can proliferate and everybody can, can through creative accounting, move their profits mm. to those countries where they don't have to pay any taxes. So there's this kind of process being undergone and it would be put into 
you know, law when once that process is negotiated. But the other thing in this bill is a minimum tax on what they call the book income. Uh, and what that means is that every public company, when they give their financial disclosure to investors, mm-hmm. uh, they have a book rate of income in terms of uh, this is how much money we made this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amazon puts down its uh, uh, profit and loss, and they say this we made, let's say, $10 billion this year. Mm-hmm. Then they put out a tax bill uh, where they say we, we aren't responsible for any taking any taxes for because of various loopholes and, 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 and parts of the system. Mm-hmm. So in this bill, it says whatever you put down and told investors, you're going to pay a minimum tax on that. Uh-huh. So you can do all your loopholes and do everything, but at the end, if that's smaller than the minimum tax on your book income, uh-huh. then you're going to pay that minimum tax. And that minimum tax is actually 15%. So... The 28% rate is the, the nominal tax rate. That's before any exemptions, uh-huh. any 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 tax breaks, any any kind of uh, uh, various deductions that you're able to take. That's like our our top, you know, our marginal tax rate mm-hmm. as individuals. Right. We don't pay that necessarily. There are deductions and things like that. But what this is saying is that 15% of your profits that you're going to get at least that. You're, mm-hmm. There's not going to be a situation where Amazon makes $10 billion or however much in a year and pays zero taxes. That's not going to happen anymore if this uh, becomes law. And that is quite a bit of revenue that would then come in from that, from just that uh, adjustment? Uh, I don't have the specific number on that adjustment, but Mm -hmm. yes. Uh, I mean, there there would be significant income raised through all of this. uh, Uh As they say, it would be $2 trillion over a 15-year period. Gotcha. A little over $2 trillion, actually. Let me, on the way out here, uh, let me uh, get one more uh, question that I, I wanted to ask you about. McConnell had based his objections to this bill on uh, on the need for, in his words, uh, quote, more borrowing and massive tax increases on all the productive parts of our economy. I'm not sure he had any problem with <laughs> borrowing after the GOP's $1.9 trillion tax cut in 2017, but uh, your response to that and what he means by the productive parts of the economy. Well, what? Right. He means the job creators, right? He means the, the, the real Americans that, uh, that, that produce for this country. So well, I mean, a very, very, very retrograde kind of libertarian uh, kind of view of things that, that you know, wealthy landowners or wealthy capital owners count more. And uh, other people because they drive. But I mean, out. everything in this list is about jobs. I mean, you know, in, in this in this proposal is about putting people to work in what seemed to me anyway to be productive parts of our economy. I, I'm I'm not sure what he's even getting at there. Well, that's why you're not a Republican. Brad. <laughs> so, um, what can I tell you? As far as you know. David Dayan. As far as I know. All right. Very good. Thank you, David. Uh, Great talking to you, my friend. Really appreciate it. As ever, you can find David's work, as always, at prospect.org, where if you move quick, you can sign up for the very last days of his first 100 days newsletter. 
And you can, of course, uh, follow him on the Twitters at DDayan. And yes, you can buy his book where he goes into much more detail on all of these important matters. His new book is called Monopolized Life in the Age of Corporate Power. Thanks, David. Always great speaking with you, my friend. All right. Thanks. Thank you. All right, you know, before we go, there's uh, Desi. There's one point I want to clear up there in okay. in in uh, what David had to say. What David had to say uh, about reconciliation and what Schumer is talking about. And uh, since we're so deep in the weeds on this conversation already, let me just clarify so people know what is or isn't coming. Basically, when it comes to budget reconciliation, a bill can be passed through the Senate with a simple majority vote. I think people know that now. That's yeah. how the American Rescue Plan was was passed. But that can only be done for, uh, in theory, for a budget bill. And since the Republicans did not pass a budget bill last year, that allows the Democrats now to do a budget bill for, where are we, 2021, and another budget bill for 2022, which would also be done this year in 2021. So that's why they've got sort of two shots at that. However... What David was sort of referring to there is that Chuck Schumer is looking at an arcane provision that I don't even know if Republicans knew about. They certainly never used it, which allows for a budget bill to be voted on a second time. The same budget bill to be uh, revised, revised, Ah. reconsidered, revised, at which time they can change it. They can add things to it. So in theory, they could do another 2021 budget bill and add all of this infrastructure stuff into it and then still have the 2022 budget reconciliation Mm. bill to do. And by the way. A revision of that could follow as well. So, you so know, potentially unlimited revisions. Kind of. Yeah. If uh, they can't get Joe Manchin to uh, come around on the filibuster, this is one possibility that they're looking at, though they have to get the uh, approval for this from the Senate parliamentarian. So that's a tricky thing. But it's yeah. also tricky to consider that once this is done, if it's allowed, then Republicans can do the same thing yeah. next time they're in power. Yes. Which could be as soon as the midterms of 2022. Right. So it's a, it's a dangerous path to take. But then again, we have to remember the big picture on this, this yeah. gigantic infrastructure bill. This is a transformational infrastructure yeah. bill. It's a one in a, once in a generation opportunity to fix our decrepit infrastructure and get it ready for climate resilience for all the climate impacts we're going to be seeing over the next several decades. So it's a huge deal to really do this, to really have some meaningful climate action in place. It is true. It is a huge deal. You're absolutely right. But on your comment about it being dangerous that Republicans could use this too? No, it's not dangerous. It's <laughs> democracy. Okay, you're that's right. That's what it's Good called. Point. And if we got rid of the filibuster, that's exactly what we would have. Okay. Democracy. Don't be scared. <laughs> All right, got to get out. Thanks again to David Dayan of the American Prospect, to Desi Doyen, our wonderful producer. Thanks, Des. Mm-hmm. And to all of you for spending portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or would just love to hear it again or share it with your friends and family and the people you despise, you can <laughs> do that by downloading it for free at bradblog.com, all of which is made possible by those of you who support our work by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. 
uh, or just hit one of those donate buttons that you'll see at bradblog.com. Uh, you can drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. We'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. 